Welcome back, everybody, to another video. I'm your host, Vinny Adams, and joining me today for the first time is my co-host. So please welcome Katie Howland. Katie, how are you? Um, amazing. It's so good to finally be in the co-host seat. I'm so happy to be here and so grateful for the invite. It's going to be fun. It is. It's already, we've already got many plans underway and I think in the coming months, it's, uh, it's going to be a nice, pleasant change around here. We're really going to step it up. So I can't wait. And I'm just so glad that we are starting off right now. So thank you. Oh, let's do it. Excellent. Just for anybody watching, this is a pre-recorded interview. Uh, so any questions you put in the chat will not be answered. Thank you anyway. <laughs> but let's not waste any more All time. Right. Um, please welcome our guest, Mr. Christopher Sharp. Chris, Hi, good guys. to see you again. Hey, how you hey, doing? Uh, I'm doing well, thank you. It's an honor to be on with you guys, especially for Katie's first show. I'm so excited. I've admired you ever since you've kind of like come to prominence in the community. And uh, yeah, this is just a true honor to be here for your first show. And, you know, I respect you both so much. So thank you for having me on. Oh, hey, thank you. I'll make sure to slip you a 10 after this for all the nice words. <laughs> well, Chris, listen, you've become quite the regular here now and you've been really breaking some amazing stories. So I thought it was just only natural to get you on to talk about Jay Stratton coming out of the shadows. Um, because the more we sort of learn about this guy, it, it not only shows that he was an important role and an important figure, in the subject, but it also helps other people, such as Lou Elizondo, solidify what they've been saying and the positions they held and things like that. And so it'd be great if we can just discuss all of that. Um, I think one thing is, as well, is since you were last on the channel, I think you've released three articles pretty much based around the work of George Knapp and Jeremy Corbell. So are you able to tell us about, have you got like a working relationship with them now? That's correct, yes. Yeah. So um, Jeremy, George and I work very, very close together um, on these stories to make sure they they come out properly and that there's no BS attached to them, nothing's embellished, we just report the story straight. Uh, so so that's, that's what we aim to do. So obviously, um, you know, you've got the weaponized podcast, which is the long form, and then what I do is I kind of come along and I get a story from that, take away all the key parts. If I can, I try to get a bit more information on them to find other angles and say that we need to focus a bit more on, on this, if we can get more information. And um, we, we have a fantastic working relationship um, and I've got so much respect for both, you know, Jeremy and George. And I mean, kind of like seeing how the inner workings of how they work on a story you get so much respect for how careful they are, how that, how careful they are, and they're obsessive about the truth as well. They're obsessive about the truth, um, making sure they're getting everything accurate. The small details really, really count. The context counts, and I think most of all, I can really respect as well that they protect, they protect these people who are coming forward. So they're very, very protective of them because, you know, the, the likes of you know Jay and, and John Gutierrez, kind of coming out. The first time in public that, that's a that's a really really big deal especially for them um and you know what the ufo community can be like as well so um uh, no it's it's a great relationship that we have and um I, i'm hopeful that we can break some more fantastic material together 
Well, it's great that you can take, you know, all of the good nuggets that are coming out from weaponized and perhaps give it to a new audience. You know, that's one of the benefits of having those close relationships, especially across the pond. Um, so really happy that you're doing that and amplifying some of the great content that's coming out. Thank you. Yeah. No, and, and the thing as well about an article is, you know, people, uh, people can print it out, can send it on to each other and stuff like that. So you know, if people in the Pentagon wanted to share it or something like that, they can do that. And um, one would hope that is occurring because um, I think, you know, these things that Jeremy and Georgia are breaking are causing huge waves and all credit for them. You know, this is this is what happens if you're trusted. And the as Jeremy says, the best way to be trusted is to be trustworthy. And, uh, you know, the fact that they're getting all these excuses they can break just shows how much integrity they, they, they both have. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really enjoying the moment. I'm learning so much from them as well. So it's been a great experience. Yeah, that's amazing. <clears throat> Excuse me. I do have a little bit of a cough and a cold, so I may have to mute myself going forward. Um, that's throwing me off. I can edit this out <laughs> or I can just leave it in. <laughs> um, so yeah, what I would obviously we I brought you on and asked you to come on because I wanted to speak about Jay Stratton. Um, so we'll jump onto that one first, but I would like to touch upon the uh, Gutierrez case with the 2019 drone swarm. Um, but we'll go back and we'll play it in reverse. So we'll start with Stratton. And I guess my question is not just to you, Chris, but Katie as well: is what did you guys know about Jay Stratton before he came out this week? I mean, I knew very little. Only what, what whispers had come through the grapevine. I was aware he was Axelrod, was aware that he had been involved in a number of the programs, but it was great to see him finally come forward for the first time. You know, I think we all knew Alien Con is coming up, uh, regardless of, I know there's lots of mixed feelings about that appearance, but um, I think it was great to see him in a more sober, serious environment. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really interesting. I, I was most interested by the timing, why now? So, Chris, I'd love to hear what you thought, too. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I was aware that he was the head of the UAPTF um, and that he got taken off just after it got passed into law in terms of that NDAA, which um, obviously um, put into law that that report had to be released from the UAPTF, um, <laughs> which is its own story, and I don't have much details about that, unfortunately. Um, and I knew as well that um, you know now he works with Radiant Technologies. Um, he's a specialist um, in terms of um, kind of foreign foreign weapon systems. Um, like he said in the interview, like he knows how they fly. <laughs> I mean, it's not just knowing like oh that's you know a Mig twenty one or whatever. It's like oh, there are Russians flying that, and this is how we know there are Russians flying that, because we know how they fly. So it's that intrinsic detail, which is so important. And um, yeah, and also specialist kind of like reverse engineering. So uh, right. yeah, he's, uh, he's a very, very interesting person, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and the, one of the things that, that also struck me was um, when they were talking about visiting Radiance Technologies in the podcast and um, being able to peek in and hear about all of the people on staff who were, you know, very, very knowledgeable about reverse engineering. Um, that made me think that they, you know, may not be working on those programs now, but maybe they're pre-positioning for some bids in the future. And I'm really curious, you know, over in the UK, 
do you think you'll see something similar? You think well, you'll see companies trying to swipe up talent in anticipation of more contracts coming through? Well, I suppose the big one here is BAE Systems, uh, <laughs> which is a really, really big one. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, I think that that might be the case, as we said before. Um, I mean, I'm, no, I'm not saying that, you know, this is something I know from knowledge or anything. It's just basically like, like we discussed last time, wasn't it? That like, China can be working on a reverse engineering program, have hundreds, if not thousands of people working on it, be able to keep their mouth shut because it's an authoritarian regime. You've literally got like a communist party officer um, spying on every 100 of the population. Um, uh, so that that's how much you can keep secret in China. So in America, if it's all kind of spread out and compartmentalized with like, you know, two people working on a program and they're not allowed to call anyone for expertise advice, they get stuck, then that's a huge problem. So um, yeah, yeah, one would hope that if that was the case, and if it, if it was working like that, you would be able to kind of really open it up to all the emerging, um, you know, com companies out there with best talent. Um, so yeah, that 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 would be one hope of mine, and uh, yeah, one could hope for like an, an Apollo moment where a new era of technology is discovered for the <laughs> next decade if we open this stuff up, which could make all of our lives infinity, in, infinite better basically than than it is at the moment in terms of life expectancy, the energy crisis, and hopefully we can we can kind of like step forward as one humanity, especially with the United Nations project at the moment in terms of Project Titan, which is huge as well. So uh, yeah, one would hope that um, this is a really good step in the, the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate both your comments there. What I'd like to do now, if that's okay, is um, like we mentioned earlier, you released this article in the Liberation Times with uh, the, the highlights, let's say, of the Jay Stratton story. So if we bring it up, I'd just like to touch upon a few points, we can kind of go through it and uh, Feel free, either of you, to just if you see anything or, or you think of a point that you want to talk about, just just go for it. Um, here it is. I've enlarged it, so it should be. There he is. There's the man of the hour. Don't tell me if he's got any typos, by the way. I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the grunt. I'm not. The, I'm not the police. Don't worry. The grammar police and the, yeah. No, I think what was good as well as a lot of the, you know, he he came out in this uh, on this podcast and they were switching between his interview and then back to Jeremy and George talking and then back to Jay. So we didn't get like a full length, let's say, interview okay. with him. We got some sort of pointers, but I think some of the statements that he made were quite interesting and uh, you know they weren't like directly saying something but i think you can interpret them in certain ways which maybe some people might say sometimes can be a bad thing but you know we can still wait and see what else he comes with further down the line mm -hmm. but i did like this one here where it says uh, i kept an open mind a skeptic mind whatever you want to call it looking for something that can answer this in all the means that i had to chase that but there were definitely some times where we really couldn't close the loop and we realized that something needed to be done about it. I find that quite, I don't know, don't know what the word is, but what do you guys think? I mean, I, I was shocked when I, when I read that. That's a pretty straightforward thing to say for a man of that experience. Um, you know, I think we should pull up his LinkedIn later and show all the various titles he's held. Um, he, he knows what he's talking about. So for someone of that caliber, you know, he's, 
senior executive service. Um, it's a little controversial to say he's equivalent to a two star, but that's the easiest way to describe it. Just don't say that to someone actually with two stars. Um, <laughs> and so this really stood out to me. And I think that should st stand out to anyone, um, not just in the UFO community, but in the defense community as well. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I think it's going to burst some balloons, let's say. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think, you know, like um, you have to go back to the UAPTF report because a lot of that came from a presentation that um, Stratton had prepared. So you look at some of the things um, on that, like I mentioned last time, signature um, management, um, you know, so, so that could be low visibility, instantaneous acceleration. Um, as well as reported um, radar jamming and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. that, that, that was something really, really big in that UAPTF report. And if you've got someone like Stratton who can't kind of close that loop, that, that's a really big deal because, you know, this is someone who, who knows the foreign weapon systems. He knows how the right. Russians fly. He knows how the Chinese fly. So he's very, very well right. aware of what this stuff is. And I'd also mention as well, in terms of the first quotation, that's really, really key because, you know, like you said, Katie, looking at his um, record, this is a very senior person, the equivalent, mm -hmm. although he does like to downplay it, but the equivalent like a two-star general, uh, no, admiral, sorry. And, um, you know, basically saying we're already 70 years behind the power curve for trust, right? Because everybody says the government's lying to us and the whole Blue Book thing and the whole Roswell thing kill trust. I mean, he's not directly saying uh, they're lying to us, but um, I mean, you can read between the lines there and take away right. stuff from it. And um, I mean, this, this is coming from a really, really serious person. So um, I think this might, this might be a clue of things to come as this stuff starts to unravel and things get made public um, in terms of what's happening in Congress right now. Mm -hmm. yeah. I also really appreciated the the skeptic mention. It yeah. reminded me of, of Mitch Horowitz, who always talks about the need to have a better cadre of skeptics and how we need to welcome skeptics who are doing it in good faith. And so that made me really happy to see that. And I hope that opens up more conversations that way. Absolutely. 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 Yeah, completely agree. I think what was interesting uh, as well, obviously, you know, he worked with ORSAP, ATIP and the UAPTF. And that says volumes to me. If he's continuously moving and changing roles, but continually going back to the UFO subject, why would you do that if there was nothing to it? Or why would you want to come out and talk about it now if you've been through the ringer for over a decade? And it's like, I don't want to talk about something that there's nothing to it. You know, that, I mean, that's just me interpreting it. And again, I'd happily be wrong if I'm interpreting it incorrectly, but that just spoke to me, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, he's like the only guy who's been involved with all the modern day UFO <clears throat> programs. Um, so that that's a really big thing. And, you know, like, like he was saying, you know, he was, after being involved with Allstab Native, he was ready, like, to walk away from it. He wasn't expecting... Mm -hmm anything else to do with the topic again. And that was until Lou came out and the New York Times article came out. And then, Merry you know, Christmas. exactly. And it was just <laughs> the ONI, Office of Naval Intelligence, and his boss was like, look, Congress, you know, Congress started taking interest and senior people started taking interest in this. So he was at the perfect place 
in the perfect place at the perfect time really so it seemed very very there's like serendipity involved you know in this it felt like it was meant to be speaking of meant to be chris i i do want to ask you whether you have insight or speculation as to the timing though because you're right he's worked in these roles for gosh over a decade now you know and it's not exactly a, a thankless thing to come into the spotlight and so i'm really curious if you have any ideas or uh suspect why why now yeah yeah absolutely yeah there's a good reason why now because i mean by appearing publicly he's emboldening others to come forward other serious people to come forward mm -hmm. so that is a really really big deal and i think people I would speculate that people were starting to come forward or considering to come forward now that Jay's come forward. I think, oh gosh, this is a really big moment. Okay, that if Jay's come forward, I'm I'm going to come forward as well. So I, I think this is a really, really big signal um, of intent for the topic in general from him going out. It's a really, really big, significant, symbolic moment, let's say. Um, so yeah, I, 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 you've picked a really, really good point there. And um <laughs> I like to think that we're having behind the scenes, you know, I'm always hearing things and I think that things are going very, very well right now behind the scenes, especially in Washington. Um, I like to think that we've almost got there in terms of winning the war, let's say. And then, you know, we've got further reinforcements coming now with um, Jay Stratton, like you said, Vinny, earlier, you know, Lou's been out there for a long time, so has Chris. And, now you've got Jay coming to um, to join the party as well, and I think that that, that yeah, and I and I'm hoping that further people come forward as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mentioned a, a minute ago about how it shines Lou in a, in a good light as well, because all the things that he'd been saying are almost being validated again. But what, what also shines Lou in a good light is the fact that you've got Stratton with an exceptional career history, coming into ATIP, but only being second place or second man to Lou so that shows how right. highly respected and trustworthy Lou was to people within the Pentagon and and, and that you know so it, it's only doing good things um and you mentioned Jay coming forward is gonna you know help other people come forward and again seeing someone of that high caliber will you know hopefully show people that if he can do it at that level then I'm going to do it and, and things like that. And we mentioned earlier, and I'll stop waffling in a second, that we were going to show the LinkedIn. So I've got that ready because it is incredible. And you can see some aerospace jobs there at the bottom. But what I wanted to start up was the the DIA role, which he was in. I mean, it's just it's just impressive. I mean, do you want to talk, talk us through that a little bit, Katie? And I'll move up when you've gone past it because you probably have had more experience or knowledge when it comes to departments and agencies. Yeah, I mean, I think what's really interesting, what first stood out to me is that he is the person that brought the Skinwalker Ranch book to Iraq, which kind of started, if you're familiar with how Ossop came to be and people came to advocate for it, it was basically that they were all sitting in the green zone, passing this book around the one pool that everyone gathered at. So it was pretty cool to find out that that was kind of the genesis of a lot of these programs. It, it came from Jay pulling a, a book in his backpack on deployment. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to see. So the Defense Intelligence Agency, um, you know, is very highly respected, obviously, is you can think of it as like the entire Pentagon's intelligence branch. Um, but what's really interesting 
that I saw is like the, um, how he kind of would go in between branch specific jobs, you know, like he was, he said he was a reservist, um, I think in the Navy, if I remember correctly. Um, but then he would work for, you know, organizations that actually go up to the intelligence branch, the ODNI, instead of actually to the services. So it gave him a lot more independence um, to investigate things, not directly within the line of command in the same way. Um, so that's what really stood out to me here. You also see, obviously, the Department of State. That's not uncommon. You'll see six months. It was probably a rotation that he took while um, being in the intelligence community. That's very, or the intelligence community. That's very common. In fact, the arrow um, openings that we've seen are those types of joint temporary rotations. They're not permanent positions. So it looks like he was a part of, you know, similar programs like that and got to go, you know, to Baghdad, to the Department of State. So he really touched a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. And I see it here as we come up, we've got this flight commander here, seven-month role, Afghanistan mm -hmm. Camp Leatherneck again, yeah. But then he moves mm -hmm. in here into chief space technology issues for under in the office of the Secretary of Defense. And see, this, this seems more of a more permanent role. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like it. It's hard to tell for me. It's hard. For, I very, very briefly worked for DOD. And so it's hard as a contractor. So it's hard for me to tell sometimes whether some of these are um, civilian roles or whatnot. I think possibly the, the OSD role is probably civilian role. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because then you see the director of air warfare and spear, which would have been civilian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, there we go. Keep going up. We could, we could sit here and go through each one. It would take yeah, forever. But just, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. And, and when you get up to the top here and you see senior level executive, that's um, it, it doesn't sound crazy, but that's a very, very rare and highly respected level in the civil service. So once you get past GS-15, which is like the highest pay grade level you can have, um, within that within that system, you become a senior executive service member, um, and that's where you get into some of the the star equivalencies. Um, so that that is really what gives him, I think, the authority to go across to a lot of folks um, in our agency, in our department, and uh, get the information he needs. Yeah, I love it that you're here to lay this out for us because I would have no idea. So I really appreciate oh, it. This much knowledge. <laughs> this much. <laughs> I'm going to have my Pentagon friends messaging me going, no, no, you got that wrong. <laughs> and then obviously we see at the top his current position at Radiance Technologies as Senior Portfolio Advisor Maritime. Could you try again? Sorry, Siri's shouting at me. So, yeah, I thought that was just interesting to bring up. But uh, let's jump back to the to the article again. If you see anything that I'm scrolling past, um, please let me know. Yeah, that line there, Jay Stratton was seen as the best person to work on the topic by ONI due to his previous experiences with other UAP programs and his background in identifying the capabilities of other nations' military systems and validating potential threats. Now, when people put him forward for these positions to bring him back into a UAP program, is this offering him a job or is this telling him you're going to do this? Like, what level of choice does he have? And is it, you know, <coughs> that's what I'm interested in. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean in, in terms of that, I, I think just just from interpreting it myself, I think it was just kind of like, look, you're gonna, you, you'd be great for this role, Jay, and we know that you're interested in it. 
Um, it's kind of like, I think they, they, they may have anticipated that he would be interested in the role. Um, it would be something that he would he would take. So I think it was just kind of like a judge, a nudge in the right direction, basically saying, you know, I think I think you know you're needed for this. And obviously, with um, Congress and other senior um, people within the government breathing down their neck, saying that we want some answers after this 2017 story comes out, um, then yeah, that does make sense. And then after that, what happens is that you have an entity which he starts. Um, which later becomes the UAP task force. I mean, I think it, it, it was the UAP task force in name, and then it got formalized when yeah. ESPA, I think it was ESPA, wasn't it, in 2020, who was the um, Deputy of, um, Secretary of Defense um, mm-hmm. in August, when he basically formalizes the UAP task force. However, if you look within the Intelligence Authorization Act, which I think was drafted in June or July, you know, it, it references, you know, something like, you know, the continued, you know, we support the good work of the UAP task force. So it speculates that even before, you know, that um, that mandate was being drafted, asking for um, something to be drafted in terms of report by the UAP task force, that something already did exist within the Navy. So um, that that's quite important as well, because, you know, that starts in 2018 report from the UAPTF came out in 2021 so this had been going for three years already before the report came out yeah and Chris can you uh clarify for people who might not be you know as tuned into this the drama or controversy surrounding uh Stratton getting removed from the UAPTF right before uh the report was to be due and what happened there yeah I mean I don't really have too much information on that. I mean, I think Stratton, just remembering from the interview, I think he seemed to play that down to some extent. Mm -hmm. However, saying that, I mean, I think others would speculate, let's say, that there was a bit more behind it and it really did handicap them from the beginning because all of a sudden, um, you know, this uh, National Defense Authorization Act gets signed after I think Trump tried to veto it, didn't he? And then he was overruled by the Senate and uh, the House. <laughs> like, no, it's going through. And um, so all of a sudden, in the new year, they find themselves, oh gosh, we've got like six months or so to draft this huge report, which is, you know, which, which has got to be sent to um, Congress. And then all of a sudden after that, it's kind of like they lose, they lose the main guy, the, the director in charge. And that that was a huge, huge blow to them. And remember the other people, I think it was like two or three other people that may have been at the UAPTF at the time, they all had other jobs. They all had full-time jobs that they were doing as well. So this was kind of like, you know, despite the urgency of this, as we've now discovered with the Chinese operations and look, studying UAP also means finding other platforms as well, which are vital national security interests. And just seems to me bizarre that, you know, you would dedicate full-time staff to this, but anyhow, um, it was their commitment. These other guys took took it on when Strat- after Stratton um, was moved. These guys are heroes. These guys are working overtime, working their asses off um, because they believed in transparency. They believed in the cause, and you know they wanted to make Stratton proud as well by saying, "Look, we've got this over the line for you." Because by all means, like, this guy was loved by the people that he worked with, and he was so well respected. And um, hats off to those guys. And what they managed to do is they managed to use a, a big presentation that um, Stratton had created 
remember he was saying that presentation was very, very important. How you presented these to senior officials and committees was very, very important. Um, so he had, he had created something very, very impressive in terms of what he was showing um, all these key people in Washington. And it was that basis of this kind of like presentation that he had created that um, helped the task force, you know, get this report to Congress on time and create something which was substantially better than what we got um, last month. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think one thing as well, he's obviously loved because, you know, he's here giving classified briefings to key audiences. Now, is that nice? The committees, would that be? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it, and it's saying it's you know it's it's probably the primary reason why Arrow is created, which is great. But that throws up the question: if this is at the time when AIMSOG or AOIMSG was still happening, why go to someone outside of who's now left the role and not use someone who's currently in the role? You know, with AIMSOG. Well, this is the thing about AIMSOG. So. There's some complexity around this, and you may want to correct me, Katie, in case I get anything wrong here. But um, what happened was the UAP task force, um, after the report came out, it wasn't all of a sudden um, taken apart and it no longer exists. What happened was that the, DO, the DOD um, and the ODNI created, before Thanksgiving, AOIMSG to follow up on the memo that came from Kathleen Hicks following the UAPTF report saying that something more permanent was needed to tackle um, range fowlers and things like that. So AOIMSG was created by DOD and ODNI. It wasn't created as an act of law. It wasn't created as an act of legislation. The legislation for that National Defense Authorization Act just created an office called the Office, and it was after that that because I found it surprising that I was like, okay, cool. What's the office going to be called? What we're going to do with this new office? And um, Susan Goff basically said to me, "Oh, the new office is AOIMSG." It's like, okay, uh, <laughs> and so the new office was the old office in a way. Um, so it was always a different entity from the UAPTF. So UAPTF never transitioned to AOIMSG. Um, to, hopefully that answers the question. And yeah. then what's happened with this new legislation that's been passed, now they formally basically said that the office is Arrow. So, <laughs> so that's what's happened. But obviously you've got another person coming, in, um, coming into the role as well in terms of Kirkpatrick. So you've got people kind of like, Mm -hmm. speculation on my part by the way perhaps people like saying oh we don't know this guy you know if it was Strassen taking over would be there in a heartbeat but we don't know Kirkpatrick we're feeling it out you know so it may be a bit of that as well yeah I suspect there's probably some internal politics you know just like you said because we have to also remember that AOIMSG was created I can speculate not as a fully um gung-ho response by the pentagon but actually as an attempt to create a watered down version of what Gillibrand and rubio at the time were proposing in legislation and i think the hope was that if they jumped ahead and said oh look it's okay we're already creating an office that rubio and Gillibrand would kind of back down and they didn't um because they didn't think that AOIMSG was going far enough 
And, you know, because of Rubio and Gillibrand and others, we now have Arrow, which is fantastic. And so I suspect that there was a little bit of push-pull um, in terms of personnel and who was in whose camp, you know, the Pentagon can be uh, quite political in that way. And that was definitely what I took from it as well. Absolutely. And they're always, they're, they're always calibrating, navigating their way through. So, you know, a bit of navigating they were doing this time was removing it from OUSDINS, right. which was a big move in terms of who they're reporting to. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was, that was, that was a great move there. So, um, I mean, yeah, so maybe there'll be more to come. We'll have to see. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, I just, I mean, this line here, which I believe is George Knapp saying it, um, which is just, you know, I assume George and Jeremy have had a lot more than just that one sit down conversation with Stratton at, um, where was it? It was in Huntsville at the uh, SCU yeah. conference, wasn't it? But, you know, to say that Stratton believes the public has a right to know what's going on rather than the obfuscation, stonewalling, misleading statements and strategic leaks to debunkers, all of which continue to muddy the waters. I mean, this is what we've been, we've been asking for as a community is for somebody to come out who is, you know, not part of the old guard, the secret keepers. And I think, you know, it's easy to get excited and I'm trying to not be like a too <laughs> excited, but you know, I'm, I'm thinking there may be good things to come. So Chris is, is that something we should expect? And do you know what, to what level we should be, uh, you know, I don't want to get too excited. Like, you know, we know to kind of hold back our expectations with these reports. Do we need to hold back our expectations a bit with regards to information that come from people like Stratton? I think you can start to get a little bit more excited now. And not just because of Stratton. <laughs> I think, you know, things are happening in Washington as well. Now, remember, you know, Kirkpatrick is no longer reporting to OUSDINS. Um, so that's a really, really big thing. So... There's nothing stopping him now from having a bit more freedom to be honest about this topic and more transparent, whereas he wasn't before. So that that's a really, really big thing. Um, and in terms of yeah, yeah, Stratton, that that yeah, that that's a really, really big deal. And um, I think as well, like so. So one important thing to take into context is what he later says in terms of um, basically he's talking about the public affairs office of the Pentagon in terms of like, why did you say that? <laughs> and um, you can kind of like see this kind of like, I'm interpreting it is that you can see this kind of like mini like battle going on between um, Stratton <laughs> and what they're doing within the UAPTF and the, and, and the background with ADIP and stuff and what's going on as well and what the public affairs office is saying. And, you know, he was saying that communications is so key and it looked like he was being undermined to a certain extent from some of the statements coming out of the public affairs office, which I found really quite interesting. And you can see as well that, um, you know, he mentions Lou as well. Um, mm. And I think that's really important because obviously the public affairs office has said that he had, that Lou had no assigned responsibilities to evade it, which is heartbreaking. I mean, this guy, Lou, he, immense cost to him and his family he did the right thing and, and he quit his job you know he gave up his pension and and people came after him and um now you've got his previous employers at the pentagon basically saying oh no he wasn't you know he wasn't director of um atips kind of like trying to erase what he did which is a really really horrible thing and um they keep it up to this day like saying that 
he had uh, no assigned responsibilities. But okay, so I, I asked Susan Goff, for instance, I said, what about unassigned responsibilities? Because we know- There you that, go. There that, you go. We know that Gary Reed wasn't very happy with him being his supervisor, that he'd been kept from this. Obviously it wasn't ever assigned by his supervisor. Right. And I've never got a public statement about that, let's say. I've never got a public statement about that, answering that question. They don't well, want to answer that. Well, and that's what's completely perpetuated this is a lot of people aren't able to read between the lines with statements like that, a single word, assigned responsibilities. We know for a fact that his supervisor did not assign these responsibilities. And so the Pentagon isn't lying, exactly. you know, but they're, they're saying what is convenient to their, their narrative. And so I'm so glad that you picked that out and that we have, you know, journalists like you that can, can really parse these words because unfortunately with the level of obfuscation and, and political agendas, we have to do that. And that's not being paranoid or con or conspiratorial or anything. It's it's how DC works uh, sometimes, unfortunately. And so just hats off to you for, for recognizing these things and for pushing. I hope uh, Susan will someday respond to that comment. And if there's other journalists listening, I hope you'll ask them too. What about unassigned responsibilities? Yeah, exactly. And look, I, 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 I will say I have a good relationship with Sue. Um, you know, you have to, and, and yeah. I, I respect the fact that she's given some really good answers before. She invited me to the Pentagon briefing with Kirkpatrick, and I accept as well. When you're doing this, you're getting sign off from people above you saying it's okay if we say this. Or to, what's the messaging? What else can right. we say? Can you elaborate on this? So she's she's kind of like getting it through some hurdles as well herself. Right. So. But I would say that I was I was deeply disappointed that it took so long for them to also um, confirm that Lou worked for Space Force. We'd be asking for months and other people had been asking for months. It took me, I, I, I literally had to make a complaint to get that information. It just seems that a whole public affairs office has been weaponized against one person and yeah. that can't be allowed. That's totally awful it's, it's it should be investigated i think it's retribution yeah it seems it's like there's a lot of changes going on not only with the departments and the all the you know a tip to uaptf to amosog to arrow but you know um, jay mentioned here that he himself had come across you know r religious pushback within yes. the ranks you know and that's something that you, you think oh it probably happened a decade 20 30 40 years ago but to hear him say that he's still well, not now, but has encountered it in the not so distant past is, is is quite something, you know. So I found that quite surprising. And in writing, I mean, I, I would like someone to get on the FOIA for that one. Use the word demon. I mean, that's what it sounds like. Jay said it said in writing. So like, let's let's find out who. Yeah, yeah. wave wave off is an important term. It's like I'm sorry. Wave off when when they said you should wave off this topic word the phrase wave wave off is very very important in terms of military speak it means right. <laughs> yeah. um, i'm sure it wouldn't be in the dictionary but it's it's kind of like that. <laughs> uh, can we quote you on that <laughs> yeah you can look at if you look at the terminology for so you know of, of that you can you can find it in there you'll hear that sound though that you basically abort <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, 
So, you know, he, he's talking in military terms there because that's his language. So sometimes what you have to do is you have to get context of how he's speaking, the terms that he's using to understand the importance of it because he's speaking military lingo a lot of the time. Probably he doesn't even realise it when he's talking in, in normal conversation. But, yeah, he, he's you can you can tell that, you know, he's been, he's a deeply humble guy, um, very, very respectful He's not trying to cause too many waves and enemies and stuff like that within the DOD, which is fantastic. And he's going about it the right way in terms of what he's saying um, and his measured statements in that interview. And yeah, hats off to him. I, I really respect him and what he's done. And I'm, I'm hoping that this helps other people come forward as well. Yeah. Do you think this is why he didn't come out, uh, you know, in a in a more mainstream way, say a, a big article in one of the big newspapers, you know, the New York Times, Washington Post or anything like that. And, you know, he came out on a, a UFO podcast and in a in a with a journalist that writes about UFOs. Well, some people may say, well, why is he doing that? If he's really got something, why doesn't he come out in, on 60 minutes or something like that? And, you know, is this going back to what you just said about he didn't want to make waves, but in be like boom hey pentagon dod look at what i'm doing and you know is, is that possibly why it's about trust it's about trust and reporting the story properly because this this story it's, it's important that it gets seen by the right people i think that that's very very important um and i think <clears throat> at the moment i, I would I, I would say that mainstream journalism and the big publications have a lot more resources than you know, a father and a husband um, with another full-time job like myself have a lot more resources and they're not asking the, the, the right questions. And I don't think they're going about it the right way. Um, that, like, like I've said in a previous interview, like when, and I've studied this as well, I did a dissertation on it. Like, you know, like if you're a journalist and you're embedded in Israel and you're reporting on the, the, the conflict situation there, if you're embedded in Israel, all the sources that you're going to get access to are official Israeli sources. And if you're not actively looking for the other side, if you're not looking for the um, the other sources within the Palestinian territories, which is going to be very difficult to do because they'll have limited access to it, you're just going to parrot what, the, what they say. So I, I get a feeling that a lot of journalists are just parroting what the, what the Pentagon says. They're not really reading between the lines or anything like that. I, I, I think it's so important to do that. And remember as well that, you know, George George Knapp is an incredible journalist. So is Jeremy Corbell. They can be trusted. I mean, uh, and I think their track record really speaks speaks for itself. Um, and, you know, when uh, no other journalist wanted to touch this topic because of the stigma and they're af afraid to come out, it was George and Jeremy had the guts to report on this topic when everyone else was kind of like <laughs> was kind of too scared to touch it so i think you know being when you're dealing with people from the pentagon and military people these people are deeply respectful you know and they respect they respect trust and, and people with good values and ethics so i think you know that relationship and being trustworthy in terms of jeremy and um and George, that that's really paid off for them, which is why they're getting all this exclusive um, coverage. You know, they're not just going to um, General Van Herc from NORAD, <laughs> um, who's kind of like saying, "Oh, UFOs, it's nothing." You know, it's just, they're not doing that. And I think you know, it's it's difficult in this environment to actually find someone trustworthy um, these days, especially amongst amongst journalists. Um, you, 
you would expect better from the New York Times um, in terms of the reporting on this topic. Um, I, I mean, hats off to Josh from the Daily Mail. He's done a fantastic job. I think the, the, the story that he did last year with the ODNI source coming out, that was one of my favorite stories. And hats off to him. So he's done a good job. But um, yeah, like it, it's very, very difficult. And I would also mention as well that independent media is it's getting bigger now for a good reason, I think. And um, I'm hopeful that, you know, Liberation Times could be could be seen as one of that one of one of those kind of up and coming independent media publications, um, which is kind of like not being reined in by editors and other interests and stuff like that. I, I just want to report it as best as I can, you know, so yeah, that, that's how I go about it. I'm not saying I'm the greatest journalist in the world. I, I just, tr I'm just trying my best just to report it as best as I can and do justice to those people like Lou, who's just like almost lost everything from this. So it's passion. <laughs> no, absolutely, and it's appreciated. I'm, I'm sure you can see that that you, you know people in the community are. Uh, they love seeing your work when a new article comes out and that, and you know, and, and you know. We mentioned the Jay Stratton one, which I think we've pretty much covered now. Katie, is there anything else you want to say about Jay Stratton before we move on? No, I got all my points. Cool. That's cool. I think all we can do now is just wait and see what he, he does next. I believe he's obviously speaking. You mentioned at AlienCon in Pasadena in right. early March. And so that's what one month away, pretty much. So, yeah, but there's not going to be any recording of it, too. So that's a little disappointing. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they we're going to see him at some more conferences this year, hopefully some um, more academic conferences, perhaps. Maybe he'll show up at, you know, Inquire Anomalies or SCU or some of the other um, hmm. higher brow conferences, let's call them. Um, <laughs> but it'd be great. It'd be great to see him more in public where, you know, we can have a, a transcript and really parse out what he's saying. Yeah, Chris, have you got any insight into that? You know, you obviously you've spoken with George and Jeremy. Have they said anything to you that you're able to to tell us I, th I think there's much more to come from um jay stratton obviously there's a pre-recorded interview um so there'll be more elements of that to come um hopefully in um, upcoming episodes of um of weaponized um it was a, it was a very very big deal i mean when, when we go about these stories they're, they're very very sensitive you know and i've got to make sure that before i watch the episode that george is okay with it because you know like he's trusted he, he deeply like him and Jeremy. They deeply, deeply care for their sources. You know that yeah. things are done correct and that they can be trusted because it's very, very important to them. And this brings us back to what we were saying before about why these people do come forward through um, people like Jeremy and George because they're trustworthy and they prove themselves to be that. Yeah. So on that note, you know, let's talk about John Gutierrez who came forward to continue this ever-evolving story surrounding the 2019 drone swarms and i keep doing that when i say it because i don't know how else to to put it and i think it's important because people still are convinced that it's definitely drones even though there isn't enough data and information in the public domain to form a conclusion uh, and people still think that jeremy's saying it's aliens and what jeremy did i think in this week's episode of weaponized was very clearly make a statement saying i don't know what it is at, yeah. at all of this and it was really really good that he did that but let's talk about john gutierrez chris what what can you tell us that um sort of came out that was a bit newer for, for this case or this series of cases yes yeah, so obviously he, he he's spoken to some of the 
the witnesses involved and he's spoken about you know for instance um on one of the ships you know he was saying that the crew were following it when it was going from different sides of the ship you know um just following this object let's say and um all of a sudden it stuns them it's just like go straight up um <laughs> into the sky and, and it's not making a noise throughout um so that that's really really important it didn't make a noise and that's important although you've got all the the noise when you're out at sea and stuff um you would still usually hear something i mean these people would just been out on deployment and you know john's been out on deployment as well they're very very they know what chinese drones are they know what the capabilities are it's not like the first time that a drone's ever come up to them you know so Right. that's really really important for um for context there that he was provided and he was just like basically backing up the witnesses um and what jeremy said before basically that there's a lot more to this um so i i think that's kind of like what he was saying and i mean john's a patriot you know to, to you know he's a proud american patriot and he cares about um safety and you know, I think he felt an urge to speak out on this. And it's very, very important to say that he was speaking from his own personal perspective. He was not speaking on behalf of um, the Navy or the DOD. It was basically him just, you know, giving his own kind of like take on it. Um, but he provided he provided lots, lots of interesting details. And I think one of the most interesting things that he spoke about was the USS um, Kearsarge, if, I, if I'm pronouncing that correct. So it's a huge ship, basically. And it's, um, it's, I think it was like bigger than the former aircraft carriers that we used to have in terms of HMS Invincible. Um, and it's kind of like a marine ship. Um, I think they might hold Harrier jets as well. Um, they hold helicopters and Marines. It's a huge ship. And um, he was speaking about an incident whereby he knows someone who was on board that ship on the bridge and they spotted a UAP, like a, a, green, a green object um in the sky and this was whilst they were out on deployment as well i think it may have been um the arabian by the by by saudi arabia or somewhere like that at the time i'm not sure if we got confirmation on that but um it was out on deployment anyway and um this green object just gets closer and all of a sudden a bright light is beamed onto the ship illuminating all the whole of this large ship and it lasts for eight seconds this green green beam does and this person, this, this lady is describing how to, to John, basically how she's covered her eyes um, with her hands and it's so bright, she can't even see her hands. That's how bright and illuminating this light was. And you're talking about a situation as well where um, everyone's disorientated on the on the bridge and they're trying to like, well, <laughs> where am I and stuff like that. That is a huge, huge big deal. I mean, we're talking about a Chinese balloon over the United States at the moment and journalists are obsessed about this, but we're not talking about any of the unusual flight characteristics of UAP and instance like this. I mean, let's say the Chinese did have this technology. They basically stunned the whole of the bridge of a major US warship during the eight seconds. If it was China, they could do anything. They could take it down. And I mean, I just don't understand. Sorry, I'm going on. I'm really passionate about this. I love this. it. I love we're it. At the moment. And oh, there were like 167 blue light entities um, put into the UAP report. But they're not focusing on the unusual flight characteristics and the other unusual characteristics of these UAP. By all means, frame it that China might have this technology. Great, but that's by far the biggest thing and biggest potential threat if it is a foreign adversary, and people are just paying no attention to it. And it's um, 
it's really paying into the hands of the DOD because they want to answer these questions. They want to take you down this direction, you know? Um, they don't want to talk about unusual flight characteristics. They don't want to talk about transmedian aspects. They don't want to talk about what's being seen in space or underwater. They don't want to talk about any of that because they can't explain it. Um, so that's really important, but that, sorry, I, I digress. I digress, but um, yeah. <laughs> No, I think uh, it's all great. And I love, I mean, I think we all feel very similar to you, right? Um, yeah. And one of the questions I have is, do you think that these types of encounters are being discussed in the classified reports? Do you think these are being highlighted um, to members of Congress to be aware of, or do you think they're being kind of shoved under the rug entirely? Yeah, yes, I, I think they are being presented. I mean, remember what Jay Stratton says, presentation is very, very important when you're doing these things. So. It's going back the right way. And I think, although I am very, very passionate about the, the balloon incident, everyone's going on about this um, this balloon and prosaic technology. I mean, balloons date back from the 18th century. However, however, saying that, it's a very, very good way of presenting the UAP issue. And if we do go down the route of the unusual flight characteristics of UAP from this, it's a very, very good way to get in there. Um, so I feel that this could be a very, very important aspect. So if we are going to focus on um uh, our skies a lot more and it, that's in terms of my country as well as your country as well um katie about well, our country Vinny. um i feel that you know you won't just see balloons that you'll have to explain because congress will be on top of this now wanting to know everything that is in the skies above america and above the sensitive military um assets they want to know if it's balloons they want to know whatever it is so let's say if you do see something extraordinary technology they're going to catch that now and you know it's not just congress that's going to be honored with this it's going to be the, the president as well because it's gone all the way up to biden now yeah and just going back to the 2019 drone swarm case i think it's even more strange now that we've had john gutierrez come forward because he's pretty much uh, helped in rule out the the bass Strait part of the story uh, you know, the merchant ship, it really does not look like that was uh, anything to do with it. You know, part of some of the times when these drones were swarming, it was it was moored up in, in the docks or whatever. And then the big thing was that these objects were spotted coming from the west, from the open ocean, you know. Uh, so this is still very much a mysterious case. And for everyone that's saying, well, it's definitely drones, they may be right. And I think this is important, but we're not going to go there. Oh, sorry, I'll speak for myself. I'm not going to go there without the data. So I will continue to be their UAP because they're unidentified. And I think I'm, I'm purposely making that point almost because I was inspired by Jeremy to say for anybody that thinks that we do what we do or I do what I do because I so badly want it to be aliens from outer space or whatever. It's not. It's because I want to see this right through to the end. And then I'll yeah. then I'll then I'll go with the data, you know. Absolutely. You oh. want to take this down the logic train. You want to take this down the logic train. So I started that article and I made a point from starting the article with a quote from one of the people who made the designation of unmanned aerial systems. And that person admits that that was a mistake. Looking back on it, that was a mistake because we hadn't positively identified it. So, so that that's really, really major. I mean, they're going like they, they're going on the basis that it was unmanned aerial systems because these people making the designation decided to do so because they were too small to have a human on board so there but therefore it must be a drone um so that's what they're making it 
the assumption based on. However, these people that made the initial designations are now saying, oh, I'm not so sure. I don't think it was. It wasn't coming from the Bass Strait. They just appeared to come from nowhere. You know, they're coming from the west, now going east, west, north, and all these other questions, all these other bearings. They would have gone back to one place if it came from a certain exactly. location. Bizarre activity involved. Um, however, when you ask the um, Pentagon Public Affairs Office, they basically say that um, this was both an initial assessment and also they evaluated it as well, and they still found it to be a mad error system. So now I've gone back to them, I've said to them, and I've, I've gone up, I've sent multiple emails now saying do you still stick by you know your line that this was unmanned aerial systems and i've yet to receive a response because their messaging is now being undermined so uh yeah it'd be really interesting sorry i rudely interrupted you katie but what i'd like to ask you katie, um what, what do you make of it because obviously now i mean look we don't know that, that they might have good evidence that it's unmanned aerial system, but by all means, everything I've heard from the people who have insight into these events points to it not being unmanned aerial systems. Unless they've got a big rabbit to take out the hat, I don't think they can really back up their claims that it was unmanned aerial systems. So now you've got a situation where I think um, Bray at the congressional hearing basically said it was drones slash unmanned aerial systems. So what, what does that mean that he said that in a hearing now and now that messaging has been undermined? I mean, I think that I, I'm just going to reserve judgment. You know, it, I would be, I'm not an expert in drones. I'm not, you know, and I think that it would be perfectly fine to find out at the end of the day that DOD did have some intel they didn't want to share that led them to that conclusion. I'd be super happy. I'd also be happy if I find out that, you know, that that's probably not accurate and they were exhibiting some flight characteristics that, you know, just can't be explained that way. You know, I, I, I kind of tend to agree with Vinny and, and uh, Jeremy that, you know, my, well, I came into this as a national security professional concerned with whatever it is, I'm worried. I'm worried if it's China, I'm worried if it's Russia, I'm worried if it's ours and we're wasting billions of dollars on outdated tech. I'm worried if it's, something else and so to me honestly i don't care what it is i just want to know and i think that that all of our defense officials and all both of our countries need to look at it that way you know i i get that there's stigma but the bottom line is we have to secure our airspace we have to secure our seas we have to know what we're up against so that we can properly prepare and respond and um asking those questions is the only way you do that and you can't take anything off the table Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah. Well, I think that's kind of covered the latest on that. Chris, before you uh, go, is there anything that you're able to talk about that you are working on? Any any little inside peaks of, of anything new? Yeah, give us give us the, the hot <laughs> gas. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm just currently in a tussle with um, Susan Goff on the Orba Mosul um, her current line is, look, I'm not going to comment on anything contained within um, classified briefings, which is fine. That is a great line to do, to, to give and perfectly understandable. My problem is, there's a lack of consistency because they previously have commented and confirmed materials within classified material, um, briefings, which are the other videos. So I just asked a question saying, look, I, I get that and perfectly respected for security purposes, but 
can you explain to me why there is a lack of consistency and what is your approach for commenting on these zilch they don't want to answer that so i find that really really frustrating um so i mean we're currently just trying uh, we, we've got yeah we've got good reason to, you know to believe that there are lots of people that can confirm it and i have had it confirmed to me but through various other sources that it was something contained within um you know a classified briefing that is that is legitimate so um i think we're very confident that it is but it's just frustrating that there's a lack of transparency from the pentagon in actually saying that and goth is saying that there's going to be more materials which are going to be re released relating to aptf sorry uap when they can confirm it and release it but i mean what we're getting so far it's it's not good but i think some of the progress that's being made in washington right now um is very very good and i'm hoping that this this does change it and that we're going to see some contradictions um coming up as the record is corrected but my, my big question right now as i going back to sorry going back to this balloon thing that you know we've got incursions going on every day like gutierrez said these things are being seen every day and they're a safety hazard for flight and graves has said that we saw them like every day as well on the east coast why is nothing being done about it like what why why are journalists not taking an interest in that saying why is nothing being done about this could be chinese we don't know but it's just it's just incredibly frustrating that you're just seeing a lack of transparency on this and i like to i like to be this topic that you've got one side and i think it is very true as said by the odni source they don't want to comment on this because they can't explain it they can't explain it so they don't want to comment on it because they don't want to turn around to the us public and say we have no idea um, but then you've apparently got this other side within the special access programs and stuff like that know perfectly well, allegedly, what this stuff is. So, um, yeah, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm a congressman at the moment in America, I'm probably just as frustrated. But, um... <laughs> well, yeah, it's a matter of protecting our military members and every congressman or congresswoman should be aware Absolutely. of that and pushing for that. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah, well, wonderful. Chris, thank you so much. Katie, I'm going to hand it over to you to do the outro. Ah, well, thanks for being here, Chris. Um, welcome to Disclosure Team as an official team with me and Vinny. <laughs> Great. Thanks for being here, everyone. Um, really appreciate it. I was fun to sit in the seat with you guys. And Chris, thank you so much. It's always wonderful to talk with you and um, appreciate your thoughtful approach to this issue and um, your friendship. And I uh, can't wait to see what you come up with next. Thank you so much for having me both. It was a, it was a true, it, it was just brilliant. I, I loved it. What a great experience. The insight provided by you, Katie, and the thoughtful questions provided by you, Vini. And it's just, yeah, I think um, it's going to be great. I can't wait to be on again. Hopefully, uh, yeah, won't be too long. <laughs> anytime, my friend, anytime. All right, guys, we'll see you on the next one. Take care. Bye-bye.